When it was over, a new land was born, broken away from the rest of the continent. And the last flames of the once invincible forces of the goddesses of light and dark flickered and died away. Thousands of years have passed, and now the land to the south of the continent of Alacrast has become known as Lodos, the Accursed Island. Still good enough to bring home a good prodigal daughter or two is Bill. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'll never be a real knight. My name is Andy. Was that a good one? Um, let me find a quote. What's a body? Merely a dress to be worn and discarded with time? It's Abby! That's not really a good quote. That's not really a good quote. <laughs> but I found a quote. <laughs> hey! Hi. I was going to say hi, guys, but there's only one guy and one female dog in here. Also known as a bitch, but not a bitch, because she's too cute to be a bitch. Oh, look at her staring at me. She's like, I love you so much. Hey, you'll notice that Josh is not here this week. We replaced him with the dog. We did! And if you notice that the conversation is a little quieter, that's why. That's why. Uh, No, uh, Josh could not be here this week, and uh, we did not. It was Josh's week to do our review of episode three of Wolf's Rain. So instead, we decided to do something a little bit different. So Bill and I put our heads together and decided, let's just review something new. Let's just do like a weird little mini bonus season that will throw episodes out when Josh isn't around. It's a bonus bonus season. It is. It's a bonus. Well, I might even title it that. Bonus bonus season number one. Uh, and I decided that we're, I was going through and thinking... We should do Record of Lotus War. Almost my pick when I chose Trigun. Yes. Uh, but it wasn't available at the time. No, it wasn't. It was still kind of like weirdly in limbo uh, before Funimation finally picked up the rights. It was still kind of like after um, Central Park Media went kaput and then it, the rights got tangled up in a whole bunch of places. And yeah, now it belongs to Funimation. And here we are. You can watch it on Funimation. You can watch it also on Crunchyroll. So it is out there available to watch. Uh, we are going to be actually talking about the OVA, the original series, rather than the follow-up series Chronicles of the Heroic Knight. The OVA has a nice little 13-episode run. And uh, we're going to talk about two episodes today. We're going to talk about episode one, which is entitled Prologue to the Legend as well as episode two, which is entitled Blazing Departure, which I guess makes sense now when we look at the end of that episode. Blazing. I mean, it was about as blazing of a departure as you can get. No fucking pot jokes. Uh, <laughs> but! Would I do that? Uh, yeah, you would. Uh, before we get into this anime and these two episodes, uh, how about a little background? Sounds good. All right. So this anime was actually based on... A set of fantasy novels 
by Ryo Mizuno. Any relation to Ami Mizuno, you think? I was going to make a joke about fact order fronts, but... Oh, <laughs> uh, that's... Yep. So, it was a series of fantasy novels that were obviously, very, very obviously, based on tabletop RPGs. Yeah, this dude played a lot of D&D. Yeah, he played a lot of D&D. Uh, also, in Japan, there is an RPG series... Uh, called Sword World RPG that has sold. It's kind of like their D and D. Is it Japanese D and D? Yes, Japanese D and D. It sold over, I think, ten million copies of books throughout Japan. So that's that's pretty cool. And uh, was a game that apparently this author, this dude, uh, Mr. Mizuno, actually uh, played. So he created these fantasy novels. Um, there were also, aside from that, there was a, a manga. I said it right that time. There were a total of ten video games that were actually produced, which ten I didn't. Video games? Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't either. Yeah, there are a number of PC games. Uh, there was a, a game that came out in the Game Boy Color, one on the SNES, uh, even one that was out on the Sega Dreamcast. Wow. Which in itself is an anomaly because that system had very few games. So this was a huge hit in Japan. It must have been a massive hit if it spawned that many video games. That many novels. I think there was over ten novels total, um, as well as uh, a long-running manga series, and on top of that, two anime series. Uh, the original was in 1990. That's the OVA that we're going to be reviewing. Yep. As well as eight years later, they brought out a new complete season called uh, Record of Lotus War Chronicles of the Heroic Knight, uh, which in itself, which is probably, I think, not. The bet, the, the better of the two with regards to storytelling. I feel like the OVA tells the story a little bit better, but at the same time, it's more traditional and also has a lot more moments of levity and, and humor in it. Yeah, I, I remember the OVA being, I didn't even know it was an OVA at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember that being better. I remember being into that. And we watched Heroic Night, I was excited to start it. And we just kind of sputtered out. I didn't. I don't know if I ever finished it. Yeah, I know. Well, obviously, I know I finished it. I've watched it through several times, but I think after the first like eight episodes or so, it gets a little weird. Um, they shift characters to a completely like secondary cast that goes away from the main heroes. Like they retire their old characters and they all made roll of a new party. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. We're gonna have a lot of D and D references as we, we go through this, aren't we? We absolutely are. So yeah, there. Well, especially because you set. Our longest-running D&D game. That is true. In this world. Yes. So when I... this is, I was going to bring this up as well. Back in high school, our senior year, I dipped my toes into actually running D&D. Um, I had never really thought about actually running a game ever, but, um, you know, our group of friends talked me into it. It would be uh, a third usually before yeah, that. Yeah, usually. And I decided, sure, I'll give... I'll, I'll try it. And... End up running like a freaking two plus year campaign that initially I wasn't sure what to do. So I just poached the setting and NPCs taken right from Lotus War. Um, and threw a bunch of wrestlers in there. And threw a bunch of wrestlers in there. Yeah. A mishmash of, of things that we were into at the time, at the time still are obviously, but, um, we're specifically into at that time. To be fair, I went back and I, I changed the names and and, and, and and differentiated some of the things from the original Record of Lotus War setting. So you didn't get sued. So I don't get sued. Because, <laughs> you know, one of you assholes at the table will try to sue me. Uh, so, uh, I, I'm, I meant... Uh... Oh, well, that too. Yeah, yeah, that too. Uh, so aside, 
Aside from that, there was actually a film as well as a three-part OVA that was uh, kind of a spin-off from Record of Lotus War. I actually own the movie. It was called Legend of Cristania, and it follows the story of Ashram and Pirates in particular. Huh. Uh, the movie is not bad. It's definitely a little weird and jarring because it's very different from the original stuff. I wasn't even aware that existed. Yeah, I'll have to... Maybe one day we'll review that for a movie. We'll do a movie review Once of that. Once we do this. Yeah. And again, you know, if you want movie reviews on the on the regular, um, you can donate to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Japanese. When we hit $50 a month total in patrons, we are going to do a movie review uh, once a month. So we better start putting those in the bank as soon as we can. Um, but yeah, no, we're going we're gonna to have those coming up. So, you know, if you want to hear us talk about Legend of Cristania and other movies, definitely, you know, support us on our Patreon. If you want to make Andy watch Frozen. There you go. We will do Frozen. And I will just have to let let go all my inhibitions. Let it go? Yeah, let it go. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> that was the joke. That's about all I really need to mention about it. We're, gonna, we're just going to dive into the first two episodes today of the OVA. Are you ready? I am. Except, well, Ray gets to be blue and you're red, so I thought we were going to do something like that for this. Oh, oh. I thought we were going to do it like Edwin and Deathwish or something. Ah, <laughs> uh, for our... Three listeners that know anything about our D&D campaign. I'll, I'll work on it. In Some half of our listeners. Yeah. Okay, that's, no, that's fair. Um, I'll work on that in post. Uh, so, we start episode one with a dramatic opening. It's kind of interesting visually. There's a lot of still shots in this long extended opening about essentially giving us the background on the world and the war that was waged between two sides. Right, but I don't think this was cost-saving still shots. This was really more of a... Mm-hmm. We actually see the mosaic later in the episode. Mm-hmm. So this is really less about cost savings, more about this is how you start epic fantasy and you see the history from long ago. Yeah, kind of digging into that full background. It is kind of cool that the images that we see in this extended opening are the same thing that's on the mural uh, completely. So I, I thought that was that is a really cool touch. The Year of the Gods apparently has ended and the armies of Phallus... Not phallus. <laughs> not phallus. Although I believe it's spelled very similarly. Uh, who is the goddess of light? D-I-K. <laughs> yes. Took on Phalaris, who was the god of darkness. So we have that, setting up that classic trope of light versus dark. Yeah. I was very confused about this. I'll, oh, you're I'll, not alone. I'll come into this later. Okay. No, that's fine. It is something that's easy to get confused about in general, just because... On top of that, then there's other gods and things mentioned. We'll, we'll get there. So apparently they're battling. We see still still images of this battle, and there's this giant dragon kind of depicted as part of this mural. Two of them. Yeah, one on either side, that's right. Yes. And a bunch of soldiers. That all, they almost look like they're fighting on clouds, it kind of looks like. Right. But you see, like, pillars of, like, buildings as well. And then we get the mention of Marfa, the goddess of creation, and Cardis, the goddess of destruction. Well, not only do they mention them, they say that the battle came down to only two people left. Fucking hell of a battle. And so, it's weird to me that we, this was started by the goddess of light and the god of darkness. Yeah. And the only two combatants left are also gods. Mm -hmm. Creation, who I assume works for light, and destruction, who I assume works for dark. Yes. I'd imagine so this too. is a big pantheon, or was before. Yes. And I almost wonder, because when later on in these episodes, they reference Phallus, 
uh, still as a god or goddess rather. I wonder if they started the war, but like, like people fought in the name of these two sides. You know, it's like people fighting in the name of God, but God himself doesn't fight. So like these two gods stayed back, amassed their armies. And as part of those armies, there's other goddesses, these other goddesses. Or right? even are just primordial forces that aren't yeah. even sentient. Right. I could, I could do for some more world building. Yeah. Certainly. Definitely. Definitely. I, I think. Cosmology they, building. Yeah. They, they kind of try to cram a lot of it here in this intro and we get sprinkles of little bits and pieces following in different episodes. But yeah, this is the bulk of what we get of this backstory. I guess I just don't understand functionally why there's a battle between light and dark. That comes down to creation and destruction. Like, mm-hmm. They practically would serve the same roles, good and evil. Yeah, I mean, they would, absolutely. But I wonder if, like, instead of Zeus, it's like a very specific sub-god that like, has maybe some of the same powers, the same ideas. Well, really, it'd be more like... Uh, oh, uh, like Kronos or something? Kronos or Uranus. Yeah. Compared to Zeus. Yeah, yeah, maybe something kind of like that. That's kind of Possibly. how I, that's kind of how I see it. It's, it's left a little confusing. There's an image of these two goddesses and they're spitting lightning at each other. <laughs> one's got a, what, the, the, the good one's got a sword. The bad one's got like a spear, I think of some yeah, sort. Yeah, it's like a halberd or a yeah. spear. Yeah, pole arm or something. Some kind of a pole weapon with a fucked up blade at the end. We get an image of lightning splitting the land itself. Apparently the battle created an entire continent known as Lodos, which is also known as the Accursed Island. Yeah, that's below. Oh, I can't. I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the other. Yeah, it's to the whatever direction of this other continent, yeah, and I cannot this, remember the name. The of south of this other continent. Yes. Yeah, it's its own thing, and I, I wonder, is it the accursed island because it's was split off because of the gods' war, or is it like? You know, this is the location where all this battle happened. So they're like, you know, like Both. there's some sort of like other. Like, these greater gods are like, we need to just cleanse and get rid of that battle-torn land? Both. Okay. I've never really understood that fully. kind of how I took it. Yeah. It's pretty neat. I, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, so we get our theme song, which is Adesso e Fortuno, uh, which has original Japanese lyrics, but also was redone with these American lyrics. Beautiful woman's voice. There is the one moment uh, where they jump into some Italian. Breaks into Italian. Yeah, she... Uh, Something, something, Dijon Arrow or Dijon Mustard or something. I don't know. And I remember, <laughs> I just remember you like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, there, there's a little bit of a weird Italian, one Italian line that made it into this Italian titled song. Yeah. That was originally done in Japanese. And now it's the English voice, but with one line of Italian. And it's got the Gurren Lagann thing too, where the, the subtitles are literally the Japanese subtitles. Yes. And so they don't match the American. Lyrics. Not at all. Not there. There's a mom, a couple moments in the closing theme where it's like weird shit in there. Yep. You know, right before Deedlet's naked on a dragon. Um, if that's Deedlet, it's definitely an elf. Yeah, I assumed it was Deedlet. I mean, I did too. But yeah, she's DTF some dragons. Um, so we get our opening scene. We get <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Here's lizard dogs. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, Lord. We get flashes of lightning on the outskirts of a forest and mountainy area. There's a bolt of lightning that splits a tree as a group of six cloaked travelers stare off into the rainy distance. I want to talk about the animation style. Like, what do you think of the animation style overall of the Record of Lotus War OVA uh, compared to 
more traditional anime. Like, like, what do you think of their choices of the art in this? Because it's, it's kind of distinct. See, I was going to go the other way. I think some, really? sometimes it seems pretty obvious anime. Okay. Um, like when Gim is laughing, and the way the teeth are drawn and the mouth and mm-hmm. stuff, it all strikes me as very, very standard anime. Mm-hmm. Maybe just a touch cartoony. You know, Parn's eyes are huge. They are. That which is, is kind of a an obvious trope. Yeah, so to me, I'd say it's it's average anime bordering on cartoony anime. Really? Huh. The I, back, can see, the, I can see elements of that. The backgrounds are a lot, are very gorgeous. You know, they're kind Realistic, of the detail. Wolves, Rain, Trigun mm-hmm. sort of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I could see, yeah, and maybe that's maybe more of what I'm paying attention to in the art style. And even the monsters seem to be a little more realistic and grainy and gritty. And that's probably to make them seem more threatening, you know. No, it totally makes sense. Yeah, like that stylistic choice is kind of a cool so, one. So yeah, I guess I was commenting really more on the faces of the main characters. Okay. Like, like I guess that makes sense, because in this scene, a lot of what we do see are flashes. Like, through the flashes of lightning, we see little bits and pieces of this, like, ancient, like, dwarven tunnel. And, like, the tree gets hit by the lightning and, like, burns up and falls over, and it's pretty realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, we do get, you know, when they're all kind of staying there in their cloaks, it is kind of, I kind of like the, I don't know, it's just a striking image. Like, they're all kind of, like, peering out, and you just see, like, different aspects of their facial structure. And I like that, too, because I was thinking about that. You know, doing D&D, if we bother to say it's raining, mm-hmm. you know, people don't say they have their cloaks on, their hoods up, yep. or... You know, they don't all look alike because they're wearing rain gear. You know, yeah. it's not a, it's a nice little touch uh, to add some mystery to the beginning of it that we yeah we wouldn't see in a regular D&D game. No, definitely not. And unlike a regular D&D game, this first episode, which I want to mention, is different from the rest of them. I think it's maybe like a pilot kind of situation. Yeah, proof of concept. Yeah, where this is a total moment of, out of order, it's in, in, in media race, it's just kind of like jumps us right in the middle of some action. We're in, kind of introduced to these characters, we don't really know exactly what's going on. I mean, they literally go into a dungeon and fight a dragon. Yeah, absolutely. Which is very different from, you know, your typical D&D game where it's like every character is kind of introduced, they gather together, they head off on the adventure. Which is what we get in episode, episode two. two. Yeah, absolutely. So again, very D&D. As they are standing there, we get several shots like we mentioned of the ancient ruins. And then a woman, part of the party, goes to say something, pulls down her hood a bit, uh, but the rest just kind of walk away from her. They just mm-hmm. kind of ignore her. Kind of a weird little moment. This is apparently the Dwarven Great Tunnels. Essentially, it's Mines of Moria. Yes, very much. As we're going to talk about when we talk about the party in a second, they're definitely... I mean, D&D in itself is very Tolkien. Absolutely, yeah. But there are some... Especially old-school D&D yes. that would have been... The basis of this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This would have been probably, if not first edition, maybe second edition. Maybe. Yeah. Well, especially if it came from novels before it became... Yeah, that's true. I think the novels were maybe like the 80s or even 70s. Yeah, so you're talking... Old you school. Know, red red box. box. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it would look a lot based off a novel written today. Yeah, I would definitely probably agree with that. So our party consists of Gim. Speaking of Tolkien. <laughs> yeah. The dwarf of the of the group. Not Gimli, mind you. Gim. Yep. Totally different. Gim is a dwarf with white hair and a giant fucking axe. Pretty and, and sta- a beard. And a beard and a gruff voice. Yep. Pretty stereotypical yep. uh, sort of dwarf. We get Woodchuck, the thief, who's, you know, greedy and... I like the name. 
The name is unique. Um, but other than that, you can look at him and tell that he's the thief of the party. Oh yeah, absolutely. He has that look. You know, he's got the dagger. He's got, he's kind of like live. Headband. He's sneaking off ahead of the rest yep. of the party away from them most of the time. He's definitely the thief. Uh, we get Slain, who's my favorite of the six, who's a tall, slender, blonde wizard man and pretty simple robes and has a crazy looking staff. He kind of looks like you from that. Uh, medieval course we had where you had like the brown room. Oh yeah! I remember and I was like a friar or something. I don't know what I was going yeah, you, for. You were cosplaying Slain and didn't know it. Uh, yeah, I just didn't even realize it at the time. Slain's pretty badass. Uh, there's Deedlet, who's your stereotypical but very bubbly but also very angry elf. She's kind of a pain in these early episodes. She's the GM's girlfriend. You, you think so? I, oh, I could totally see totally that. I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. You're totally not wrong. And you can definitely tell that the person who's playing Parn, who's our warrior, our main character, is like the GM's best friend. Yeah. And like, she's like, he, the GM's trying to pawn D-Lit, like, like you should pretend like you're in love with the main, this guy. And Parn's like not having it. The, the best friend's like, I don't want to role play being in love with your girlfriend. Yeah. Like, this is weird. This, this is, is getting like, weird. This is getting to a weird place. Uh, so. Yeah, no, I could totally see that. The only totally difference is that, that uh, is the anime elf, so she has the, the long Huge ears. ears. The other thing about her is she seems to, and again, maybe it goes back to the the girlfriend that doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. She's the one grabbing shit. Oh, yeah. But you'd think the thief would be the one. Oh, no. Causing yeah. problems yeah. and grabbing That's not what we get and, here. What class is she? Uh, she's got to be a cleric or a, maybe a druid. A druid's what stuck out to me. I'm thinking because like, obviously yeah. she can use weaponry. She's got like she's, she's got, got she naturish powers. Yeah, she summons wind spirits and stuff and water spirits. Light. She's got to be some sort of druid. That's kind of my thought. Yeah, definitely. Par, as we mentioned, he's just your typical fighter, your main character. He's kind of also a pain in the ass these first few episodes. Yeah, he gets better. He does. He does get better, but these these early ones, he's, he's kind got of pain annoying. in the ass syndrome or main character pain in the ass syndrome. Yeah, and there's Ato, the more demure, calm priest man. I always thought that Ato was supposed to be portrayed as maybe gay. Um, now that, now I know that he ends up marrying like a really important, I think, princess like in the story. And maybe it's just like they're really playing up his like calm and like wants to be a helper demeanor. I think he's just supposed to be soft and gentle. Yeah. I always read him as gay though. I don't know why. I think it's, I think there's a lot of feminine energy. I never read him as gay. Mm hmm. But I think there's probably a lot of uh, stereotypical feminine energy, you know, mm-hmm. being the healer. Yeah, and the cleric. Being the cleric, being the peacemaker. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be manly, masculine, tough and rough, and be a healer sort right. of thing. Right. Yeah, Those are our characters. They argue with each other for a while. We get a little bit of, like, light medieval fantasy racism um, between, like, the elf and the dwarf. Which I didn't give even remember existing. Yeah, there's some of it in this OVA. I think it goes away after a while. Yeah, I think that's sick of doing it. Being yeah, I think so. I think they were really leaning hard into the stereotypes, the the, the tropes, mm-hmm. like especially in this like kind of first proof of concept sort of thing. This goes on until they fight gargoyles. Yeah, because gargoyle, why not? Enter a room. There's got to be a random encounter. Uh, the statues come to life. The battle doesn't really go well until Slain ends up using his magic to cast a protection spell that not only deflects the monsters, but as they bounce off of that magical shield, they crumble into dust and rubble. Protection from evil? Yeah, probably. 
We're going to do this, by the way, throughout the episode, oh, yeah, where we try to definitely, reference and figure definitely. out, like, what D&D element this is trying to mimic. I don't know if protection from evil actually gives uh, damage, though. Yeah, I don't know. The other weird thing about Slain is mm-hmm. he kind of takes Edo's stick. He does. Like, they could be one character. Very much so. Because all, I mean, Slain's always using protection magic. Ato's always using protection magic. Mm-hmm. The only thing Ato does is heal that's different. Yeah. They're both quiet. Slain will hurl a fireball once in a while, though. He will once in a while, but you can have attack spells as a cleric. Mm-hmm. And Slain seems to be praying whenever he does his magic. Yeah. Now, it's not this heavy mathematical hermetic magic yeah. that you think a wizard does. Right. Very different. You know, this arcane science. Mm-hmm. He's praying. Yeah. And I guess that ties into the opening where we get all this discussion of gods, goddesses, and maybe it lends itself to kind of show the importance of how religion and, and the theology of this world tie into every aspect. Yeah, I suppose that might be might be part of it. It might even just play in the first edition D&D where the gods were more important. Oh, absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. Because I'm still not convinced that uh, Gim and Deedalent aren't Literally the the elf and dwarf class. Mm-hmm. Back when they were just back when they were races and not right. just not not classes. Yeah, you could yeah. be you could be a fighter, you could be a magic user. Or, I'm sorry, they were classes, not races. Yeah, what I meant. you could sorry. be a fighter, you could be a magic user, you could be an elf, or you could be a dwarf. I mean, yep, good old dwarf. I I remember running that one dungeon. We never got through it, but I remember I we were, I was testing out the first edition D and D, and I just made a shit ton of characters. It was so weird. Like here's my pile of elves as character class. This is so weird. So bizarre. So after the fight, Deedlit, like you mentioned, just starts looting shit. Like she's, yeah, like, she's like, ooh, pretty. <laughs> and I love how she's like, hey, Parn, do you like my pretty necklace? And he's like, I don't have time for this shit. Get out of my face. He, but what he really says is, I'm not going to answer that right now. He's, he's very annoying in this episode. He is, kind of. They're both very annoying. Uh, we cut away to a tower. Dun, dun, dun. This is Wart's Tower, as we're going to find out. And, uh, like a kid from Diablo. <laughs> no, wrong word. He, he did good. No, wrong word. Wrong word. Um, this, 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 this guy has both legs. The goo you make beer out of. <laughs> Wait, what? Wort. Oh, that's, that's gotcha. Okay. As the goo, you, the, the barley goo. Yes. You make okay. Beer. I understand now. I just, my brain didn't process that. No, he's a small little dude studying books and all of a sudden a candle goes out and wind is blowing in the tower and a woman's voice is heard saying, that none can escape time's march. This is probably one of my favorite characters from the entire anime series. Uh, this is Carla. I think she's one of the most interesting, both thematically and visually. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Apparently she knew this guy, Wart, from a great battle in a labyrinth one time, she mentions. And we get an image of, before we see her, a tiara that is very intricate. Uh-huh. And then it materializes on the head of... Uh, this woman. Yep. She says something about, like, the seven heroes. Yes. Um, this was their previous party that got mm-hmm. wiped. If not that, I mean, I can imagine this dude that's writing these novels probably had a very long-running campaign, um, and maybe these were originally. Uh, if not, then this is just, you know, again, more background lore. How many of our old characters have showed up in positions of power? No, you're absolutely right. Yes. No, you're 100% right. This is uh, their old campaign. Yep. And they're, they're, they're putting a new one on top of it with new characters and, yep. and visiting and seeing what happens to the old ones. Yep. Because if you think about it, of the different heroes, we see one, two, three, four of the six in this series. So it makes you wonder, 
did two of those characters die in that Great War, and there was just a four that, like, survived it? Like, because we're going to get Emperor Beld later on, spoiler. We're going to have uh, King Fawn. We're going to have Ward, and we're going to have Carla, like, of the six or seven heroes or whatever. So yeah, I think he says I think he says seven. I can't I can't remember, but I, I, I feel, either way, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. These are the old characters. I guess I never really thought of that part for some reason. <laughs> uh, she talks about an old demon war, uh, and then one of my favorite quotes from the entire episode. She says, "Because he, I think he mentioned something like, I see you've got yourself a new body,' which is a weird line." And she says, "What is a body? Merely a dress to be worn and discarded with time." So she's a witch. Maybe. So she was part of the wipe, but she had a phylactery ready. Well, I mean, spoilers. We'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to it later. We'll get to it later. I don't remember. I'm just okay. saying things. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Back in the tunnels. Gim talks about the vastness of the dwarven tunnels with pride. Like, ah, oh, these are dwarven tunnels. These, these are great. This is going to go on forever. Um, Look and... how big my tunnels are. <laughs> my big, long tunnel. Uh, Dlit takes a jab at him. Um, basically saying something along the lines of, this is what we get for following a dwarf or something like that. <sighs> Your typical... Well, it's because uh, Ido was worried about, or Slain, one of the two was worried about like, getting lost and yeah. dying down there. He's like, it's not a maze, it's a tunnel. <laughs> we're just following this way. Go straight. Although, as we're going to see, there are some other ways to go aside from just down this tunnel. But And this is actually where it happens, because she touches something, and it sets off a trap. She sees something else that's pretty. Uh, like a scepter or something. That like was that. the one that really stuck with me. That mm-hmm. you think the thief would be the one seeing a pretty object, yeah. grabbing it, setting off a trap. No, the thief is doing this probably without us noticing, and he's just pocketing shit along the way. True, yeah, because he, he would disable the trap. He would disable the trap. So she starts sinking below the ground. Parn gets pulled down with her, and we break rule number one: never split the party. Never split the party. Uh, well, hey. This is our D&D advice podcast. This is. This is our D&D advice podcast, veiled in our discussion of uh, Record of Lotus War. Uh, hey, Bill. Yes. This is a break card. Break card. We are the Perilous Pretenders, an actual play role-playing podcast. I'm Christy Cutsforth, a drama nerd that needed a creative outlet to channel her weirdness into. And I'm Carrie Cutsforth. And I love creating engaging and authentic worlds with my friends and doing terrible, terrible impressions. Come adventure with us in the post-apocalyptic future. Come clubbing with us in the gothic punk scene of 1990s Chicago. Or fly with us to the galaxy far, far away. Our podcast is different than a lot of actual plays because we game in person with our local gaming community and we play lots of different types of role-playing games. From indie cult classics to games with a large and devoted fan base. Go out and make your own adventures. Life Life is is only only as boring as as you are. We're back from the break card. We see a massive castle. A man with long white hair looks out over a vast kingdom. We get a flashback of Parn talking to this man about wanting to seek out Wart the Sage. Because apparently the armies of Marmo? Uh, have apparently Marmo. taken Marmo, have apparently taken down other city forces. More on the Marmo later. We'll get there. He also wants to know more about the witch Carla, who we were introduced to yeah. just a little bit ago. Uh, we also learned that Parn's father once served for the king as a knight. By the way, this old man, as we as I have not mentioned, his actual name is King Fawn of Valis. 
we go away from the flashback and another man with huge shoulders and a cape uh, comes up and talks to him about Parn. And this is King Cashew. Higher ranking than Mr. Peanut. <laughs> the, the weirdest named character, I think, of this whole anime. It's not spelt Cashew as in the nut. Yeah, it's K-A-S-H-U-E. So maybe that means something or it... Maybe, yeah, maybe there is like some sort of like Japanese translation or something. Or, or yeah, it's a it's a corruption of another word. Or well, he's as we'll find out later on. He rules like this desert kingdom. So I wonder if there's like some sort of like ancient king, like in from like Middle Eastern lore or something. Maybe even or you could close. just take like the Japanese word for sand and say it funny. You, know? you could absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Like if I had King Sanders that ruled the desert, you know it. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's it's interesting, like, the um, Chronicles of the Heroic Knight series, they had the segment where, at the end of every episode, they'd have a weird chibi, like, yeah, mini-episode. Yep. And there was one where they kept making puns about, like, Cashew, and they're like, he's such a nut! And it's just like, it's good. It's really funny. Uh, so at least they noted in that part of the series that, like, the name is weird. He's got huge testicles. He's, oh, no. We do get the mention of... <laughs> We do get the mention of Parn. That was a thinker, wasn't it? It was. And his father, who is named Tessius. More on that later in episode two. So back to Parn and Deedlet. She is really amused by, like, this moss that's glowing. She's like, check out this moss! And claps her hands. Stick, no, she sticks her hands dead in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then turns around. She's like, my hands are shiny. Jeff's hands. <laughs> yeah, that is totally the girlfriend who doesn't want to play this game. Parn just wants to leave. Uh, he's not into her. And, uh, she decides she wants to light things up because she sees p- part of a mural. She lights, sends a giant orb of light into the air and sees the mural from mm-hmm. the beginning. Yep. And tells it a little bit more of the story about this ancient war that apparently there was an army against another army, an army of light and dark, and there was one of the sides had an army of 1,000 dragons. It's a lot of fucking dragons. It's a lot of dragons. It is. She makes fun of humans at one point. I can't remember why, but I just noted the racism once again. Yeah. Uh, and then giggles and spins away uh, in a circle. Uh, we cut back to the other party members. Slain lights his staff. Gim says something nice about Deedlet, which Woodchuck points out. Like, hey, I thought you hated her because she's a, an elf and you're a dwarf and that's how racism works. And uh, Gim gets angry about that. Um, He's like, only a human would think just because I don't like somebody doesn't mean I don't see their skills. Essentially, he fights racism with racism. Yeah. He counters... He is counter racism. It, yeah. So there's a title for you. Counter racism. So we go back to Parnadilid again. She calls upon Sylph, the wind spirit or god of the air, and uh, is god or goddess? Goddess, right? Sylph is a. I think know? she just. I think she just says the spirit of the air. Yeah, I don't know if they if they give a gender to Sylph. Sylph would well. Sylph is a female. Sylph is not a a being, but a class of being. Oh, that's but true. But as a class of being, they would be female. But I think she just has a call upon the spear of the air or something. Yeah. She does thank Sylph, though. Like, yeah. she says, I thank you, Sylph. Like, as if it was one person. So I wonder if they took that idea of the spirits. And or like, she could have been, it could have just been like, I, th- I thank you, human. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of how I Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So she calls on them. They ride air currents. It's really, for as goofy and weird as she is, like, other times she's super graceful. That she's capable. Yeah. But she's an elf. Absolutely. Like, she's got that that down plus two decks yes yeah. thank you that, that's exactly why we go back to carla and wart 
Now we find out something about... I wrote down the six legendary heroes here, so I wonder... We'll look up. We'll look it up later, just to make sure if it's six or seven. During this conversation, they're like talking about Parn and his party, like traveling. Mm. Yep. And I like how she's basically like, "Yeah, they got her there, but just wait to see what's lying at the end of this tunnel." Yeah, they're just like watching him on TV talking about him. Yeah, it's really weird. Like Carla set all this up. Uh huh. Essentially, like to to sideline them. Yeah. It's really weird. It's very bizarre. Yeah, there's something lurking at the end of the tunnel. We'll find that out in a moment. Uh, back to the party where a dragon opens its eye. Uh, D-Lit and Slain freak out, sensing something wrong. Uh, I want to talk about the art style of dragon because I love the dragon. The dragon is badass. It's in definitely well drawn and part of that gorgeous background realistic drawing is, like I said, the dragons, the enemies in general, but yeah. uh, more so the dragon because it's a dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very cool. Except this green dragon can breathe fire, which I think is inaccurate from D&D, right? For D&D, that's inaccurate. Yeah. But if, you're, well, but if you're classic dragon, just in general. We never actually... Yeah, classic dragon in general. Also, I don't know that we ever actually see it breathe fire. Oh, it does. Does it? Yeah, Its yeah. tongue is on fire the whole time. Yeah, no, it... it, it really it, cool it, artistic it, element. Yeah, that was cool. There's a couple moments where he readies the breath weapon where you see its, like, cheeks or, like, the, right. like its neck kind of puff out, and then it bursts out the flame... Um, a couple of different times in the scene. But Which yeah. makes you wonder why it fought Parn and Deedlet at the end of the hallway so long, if it mm-hmm. could have just... It had not trapped. Right. Absolutely. The GM wasn't a dick like me. F- yes, that's um, that's fair. So, we get the fight with the dragon. Parn decides that he wants to take this thing on, being the brave little soldier. He is... I mean, it's nice. He basically says, get out of here, I'll hold him off. He's a tank. Yeah, absolutely. He's very brave. He's very stupid. Yes. But he's very brave. But he's also stupid because he looks at Deedle and goes, what's the weak point? Yeah. Yeah. And of course she doesn't know. Like, <laughs> what do you think I am? The monster manual? A, a, a dragon expert? Yeah, exactly. This is the dragon encyclopedia. Yeah, it shoots flame. And they would become crispy critters if Slain had not cast a protection spell. Right. That That is when he breathes fire. Yep. In the last possible second. I will give part one thing. He never ever gives up, because then he just goes and, like, starts... It's, it's this, like, weird panned-out shot where you see most of the dragon, but not all of it, and you see Parn, just a small little, like, guy, running back and forth and, like, stabbing his legs ineffectively the whole yep. time. It's pretty great. So, when Parn finds himself in trouble at one point, apparently he's gonna get burnt again, Gim throws himself at the dragon, digging his axe right into his nose, right into his head. Uh, he gets flailed around for a while, which yep. is kind of comical. What the closed caption call it? Oh, Yelps? No. Uh, I can't even remember what they yeah, called it. Either. Yeah, It was funny. It was funny. I can't remember. I can't remember either. Uh, hollers. This, hollers, yes. Yeah. Hollers. <laughs> a little more than holler. Like, it's a holler. Yeah, he gets thrown off, and then, in that moment, Woodchuck, our thief, gets a crit sneak attack. Takes a sneak attack. With the thrown dagger in the eye, um, which is followed up by Parn stabbing the thing, and off, giving them a moment to run out of the tunnel as the dragon thrashes around, bringing the tunnel down upon itself. Yeah, they didn't actually defeat it. They no. Just, uh, well, they didn't kill it. They yeah. defeated it. They they succeeded at the encounter. Yes, they escaped. De- yes, they defeated the encounter. They did not kill the dragon. Which D&D parties never do. They would have just stood there and fought the thing yeah. to yeah. the death. Exactly. So we cut back to Wirt and Carla once again. Wirt's all like, yeah, they got through. I told you, bitch. And uh, Carla's all like, yeah, well, um, 
we're going to keep the fate balanced and orderly. So, you know what? I gave them a balanced encounter and they got through it. So <laughs> that's just how it is. Now, this is where we could talk briefly about like her character trait and this idea of fate and balance. Yeah. Uh, because she hints at it here. She'll go into it more in detail later. Well, that's why she's the gray witch. Yes. She's not, now, not black or white. Yeah. She, she, you know, we talked about this motif at the beginning of the episode of light, darkness. And yeah, she's that shade of gray in the middle. She's actively true neutral. She is. And she's, yeah, like actively. I like that, that yep, use of phrase. Yeah. Cause you can be true neutral passively and just, you don't give a shit. She not, goes out of her way to make sure that both light and darkness, not one doesn't overtake the other. Right. And probably law and chaos. Which is really fascinating. Yes. I like that a lot. We, at the end of the episode... Or would she be lawful since she's playing, since she has, since she's actively trying to maintain neutrality between light mm-hmm. and dark, would that make her lawful neutral? Or would she be actively true neutral and trying to keep chaos and law in check too? That's a good question. Because you don't really see a lot of the chaos law axis being played out. In no, anime. you don't. You really, really don't. I mean, some of the actions that she does are very chaotic. There's a scene in particular later on that I don't want to spoil right now that is very chaotic. She is keeping the balance, but she's doing it through a really, really chaotic means. And I don't want to give it away. I'll tell you right here and then cut it. So we end the episode with our narrator. He says, which is Wart, I do believe, is our narrator. Now I think about it. Uh, that the hero's journey has only just begun. Uh, we get one final shot of Carla as we fade to black. Which brings us to episode two. Woohoo. Blazing departure. We get a recap of the war between the gods. This one's much more short. It's the one we're going to get at the beginning of every episode of the OVA. Yeah. That essentially, instead of like the five to six minute one we got in episode one, it's like, a 30-second one. This was a time of myth and legend. That... Or the, the ancient gods were petty no. and cruel. No! 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 No. What was the Xena one? I can't remember the uh. Xena one. We get our cool theme song again, and then we are outside of some big religious building where Gim is heading off to find Lelia, who is missing. Lelia is a daughter of Nice, who is a priestess and one of the six great heroes. I wish her name was not Nice. Which is one of the sixth grade heroes, which I forgot. So it is, so there's only one of them we don't know. But anyway, why don't you, why do you wish her name wasn't niece? Because he's talking about prodigal daughters to his niece, and <laughs> I'm very confused. It's, it is kind of a confusing name when you're talking about relations. Not those kind of relations. <laughs> uh, rela- relations That's, between families. I mean, I guess that was familial, okay at that time. familial connections. How about that? Um, I guess in medieval times that was okay. Uh, yeah, it would have been a little more common i guess um i love how gim before he sets off says i may be older now but i'm still good enough to bring home a good prodigal daughter or two and then he laughs which is what i was referring to with the more traditional almost cartoony mm-hmm. anime style there where he laughs yeah he does the, very the, boisterous the drawing of the mouth and stuff yes yeah i i would agree there and he's i love how when he leaves he's like just relax and of course she's not because her daughter has been missing for months. Right. And she is anything but relaxed. She talks with a giant dragon, Brampt, who is an ancient ice dragon about her missing daughter. I also, is she a, is she a priestess? Is that where we're Yeah, she's a priestess. Of the moon? Cause she has a little sailor moon. <laughs> like, she's a priestess of Marfa, I'm pretty sure. Goss of Light. 
No, no. It was, yeah, Marfos, the goddess, the goddess of light, light or uh, of creation. I just noticed she had like the little up pointing crescent moon thing. She on her does. Forehead. She's very Sailor Moon. Yeah. She's re- this would have been before Sailor Moon. Huh. The, the so like because this is nineteen ninety. The manga might have been out. Codename Sailor V, I think, was out in nineteen ninety. So I don't. I don't think. Yeah, if anything, they might have got it from. They might have taken an idea from that, or Sailor Moon maybe was like, "Oh, that's a cool design. Let's use that for Sailor Moon's tiara." Who knows? Very similar. It is very similar designs. Uh, we cut to a forest, not just any forest, a red forest. Everything's tinted in red. Yeah, yeah that's not a good place to be. No, it's... like if I'm like, we're gonna play D and D, and you walk into a forest that's entirely tinted in red, and all the and I go, I, I am running back ta- to town. That's don't what don't I you want to get naked and take a bath in the pond? <laughs> well, that's this, also tinted red. Well, this girl does. There's a girl in the water. She's naked. We see her ass. There is something wandering through the through the trees, growling, uh, and it turns out to be goblins. <laughs> she is chased. She grabs her clothing and, and runs. And Parn happens to be nearby. I want to say he was peeping. He was looking to peep. I, peeping Tom. Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> Peeping Parn. But in general. <laughs> peep, I mean, peep Parn. This is a little awkward because it's that. It's definitely that trope of like. Mm-hmm. Attractive woman is in danger of being raped. That's that's your plot device. Yep. We definitely have a scene of rape with rape goblins. I Yeah. Rape goblins. Yes. Rape. I, I, I mean, I really kind of think that was the intention was that that hobgoblin wanted her. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Because yeah. it makes sense later in this episode yeah. where he singles her out in particular. Yeah. Because he could, he could have gone up for anyone. Yeah, it wasn't that... Like, he wanted to kidnap her to... Yeah, do things, too. Do things. Absolutely. Um, Make her his bride. Generously. Yeah. Generously, he wanted... Biblically. Best case. Uh, best case, he wanted to, like, marry her. Exactly. Uh, By force. Pa- Parn is fighting with a stick. He grabs a branch. Right. Starting which, equipment. Start, yes, this is this is level one Parn, which is weird because he's going to be traveling around with Slain, who's apparently throwing around. He's got to be at least level five. He's throwing on third level spells at this point. So anyway, he's uh well, fighting like a baller or an idiot with a stick. Well, Gimli throws his axe and like catches it, like like natural natural twenty. Or the GM is really lenient on like cinematic scenes. I guess, yeah, could be. But yes, they all seem to be much higher level than. It's when you add the anime element over D&D. It's exalted. Fair enough. But not quite exalted. Yeah, I'll give you that. It's, it's an in-between. Bessem. Yes. It's bad. Ba- yes, 100%. Bessem fantasy yep. companion. He's about to get stabbed. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Several times. Like you do. But uh, he does hold his own pretty well uh, until his stick breaks. And then he goes all Dark Souls and just starts doing a front roll away from his enemies. I don't know what that means. I'll have to link you to a video later okay. of a cosplayer. Like in the video game Dark Souls, your main defense is just doing a front roll, and that gets you away from attacks. And there's this cosplayer who's dressed up as that character, and he just like tries to start fights with people. And then like uh-huh. when they actually they turn to fight, like he just starts doing front rolls around the person. It's really funny. Yeah, he starts rolling out of the way, grabs a spear and buries it deep into the chest of the goblin, killing it. Battering its purple blood everywhere. Oh yeah, uh, this freaks the other goblins blood out. Works. I don't know either, but I do know this freaks the shit out of the other goblins, and they run the hell away. Yeah, he killed one goblin. 
and they fail the morale roll and all scatter. They did. They did. At this point, Ato just walks up, just strolls up, calling him heroic. Was he watching the whole time? He's just like... He was also peeping. Oh my god, he was! <laughs> peeping Ato. Um, I think he was waiting for... I See, this is where one of those moments where I'm like, he was just waiting for Parn to take a bath. He was peeping on Parn, who was peeping on the lady taking a bath. Well, when Parn was going to... I don't have a good uh, masturbation joke for mid and uh, I, um, Shine up his sword. <laughs> Polish the idol. Unsheathe the sword. Um, unsheathe this weapon. Battle the one-eye-ogre. Yes. <laughs> oh, spend all of his hit points. Um, Punch the purple worm. Oh, my God. <laughs> Take a short rest. <laughs> oh. oh, no, every time we take a short rest or now, I'm just going to make masturbation jokes. Expend his hit die. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, God, this is, this is awful. Um, God damn it. So, oh, anywho. He just shows up with this creepy-ass smile. Ato's weird. Um, we cut back to the town, thank you very much, where uh, Ato bandages Parn's arm and then casts a healing spell, which you pointed out. Why do you bother with the bandages? I guess healing magic works differently. Like, he feels a tingly sensation, but it's not going to fully heal yet. It's just going to help the healing process go I guess, faster. I guess the bandages are his uh, material components. Yeah. It could be, or maybe he's just worried he's gonna roll a one on the hit on the hit dice for the healing. He did the medicine roll. Just, I bought the skill, damn it! I'm gonna use it. <laughs> I'm gonna use my medicine. Oh god. So yeah, so he bandages them up, but then angry townspeople just barge into the house. They're just like, "How dare you attack goblins and save the town's the the, the mayor's daughter? What assholes!" I know. You're supposed to run them off, not kill them. They're fucking awful. They're terrible. Although, to be fair. This does lead to really bad things happening. Well, it does, but maybe these townsfolk should have got a level or two. They're <laughs> goblins for fuck's sake. They need a guard or two, at least, if, in this town. Which apparently they don't have. If they all would just take a little bit of time, gain a little bit of hit points. Go out, kill a couple of goblins themselves. Yeah, and then they could like, go take out that, like, there's like 50 of them. Just go fucking kill those goblins. Why haven't we ever done that in D&D? Where, like, we start a game, and... You know, like, we so we have, like, this thing where it's like, oh, man, our town is being attacked by goblins. And you just go, here's what we do. Montage! Mon- <laughs> training montage <laughs> of the citizens. And then just send them out while I, you sit back and wait to see if they come back. I feel like we have done stuff like that. Ah, I want to run that game. We're like... <laughs> you, you, you play them as inspirational coaches, and then each of you takes a character from the town. <laughs> that's like level zero like one of those like uh, NPC classes like adepts and stuff like that that yeah. would be so much fun I want to run that con game <gasps> I'm going to put that together uh, apparently Ato's been gone for like four you years you need to have a bunch of characters for each player mm-hmm. and then like as you do the montage like you drop off different characters I like that like, like a, almost like a filter mm-hmm. system like a yes. filter game yes or a funnel game I guess they call yes. it yes but instead of those characters dying, they just fail. Oh, that'd be so like, fun. It's not like, it's not like some goblin killed Jeff the Farmer. It's just Jeff the Farmer, like, couldn't handle the <laughs> the, the training dummy. Oh, that's so much fun. I want to run that, like, old school D&D. That'd be so great. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do this. Apparently, Ato has been gone for four years. and uh, a long rest. It's a long rest. And uh, one of the townspeople, like, starts talking shit about Parn's dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, dick move. Uh, apparently, Parn's dad broke some rules and was kicked out of the Holy Order of Knights. 
interesting backstory. Hey, kill there. the goblin. It may be kill the <laughs> goblin. God forbid. And uh, the mayor steps. Apparently, in. I mean, holy order of knights. Yeah, the mayor steps in and says, "You know what? I want to say thanks." <laughs> My daughter did get raped, so thank you. <laughs> it's like, At least the mayor's not a dickhead. It's true. We cut to a cave full of goblins who all look sad that their friend Tommy has just been murdered. But then a really angry hobgoblin, like, appears. And he's all, like, apparently just stares at them, and their eyes all flash red, and they're going to war. Yeah, he's got a special maneuver that, like, lets him, like, berserk goblins. Yeah, inspire berserker rage or something. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, We go back to town where we see this room filled with beakers and scientific implements, and uh, enter Gim, who is talking to Slane, who we remember from the last episode. Right. Um, this is cutting back in time, because again, as we mentioned, episode one was this weird in the middle of the action. This yeah, is it, this is cutting back to the very beginning of the heroes get, getting together. Yeah, together. episode one was literally just like, let's fight a dragon. Yep, absolutely. Let's test these characters out. Let's see yeah. how they how they roll against a dragon. So, they talk about the storm that's going on outside, and apparently there's a darkening over Lodos as of late. Uh, they then talk over coffee some more, but Slane says that he's not going to go anywhere, because Gim has shown up to try to bring him on his journey to save Lelia. There's a knock at the door, Slane says, oh, business is really picking up. Apparently he's selling potions, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think in old D&D, you can get alchemy and you can make potions, so. Makes sense. But no, it's not. A customer. It's the mayor at the door. More on that in a bit. Deedlid is out in the wilderness, being an elf and... Because elf. Yeah, you know, giggling under a waterfall for some reason. Uh, until she sees an army of goblins traveling, and she says, Goblins? Out during the day? Oh no, they're rabid. <laughs> How fucking strange. Uh, and then they're, begin- <laughs> they're like raccoons. Yes! You see a goblin out there in the day, clearly they're sick, and you clearly, gotta put them down. Clearly. Uh, and then we get another break guard. Hey, Atta, do you like anime? I do like anime. What about you? I love it! Well, if you love it so much, why don't you marry it, you piece of shit? We kind of did marry it. We did. By making a podcast? It ain't a healthy marriage. It controls our lives. And that podcast is the Reanimator Pod. That's R-E-Animator Pod. And you can hear new episodes every Monday. And here's a little taste. It's Alice in Wonderland meets Inception with an acid-infused EDM rave twist. I like it. Is what I wish I could say. Okay. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the I shot my load too early there. <laughs> Hotro then asked Yuma, are you turned on? Not in that deep a register, but that's what she asked her. Are you turned on? Turned on yet? Well, guys, are you turned on yet? If not, I'll keep going. All right. Today, we are going to start. <laughs> well, I, I We're going to start snoozing. I tried to make a dramatic pause. Uh, we're inside Parn's house. I thought you were doing the grunt from Tool Time or from Home Improvement, like uh, like, like Wonderful does. I, yes, I, I love Wonderful. I've been listening to a lot of Wonderful. I love Wonderful. Cut back to Parn's house after the break card, and Parn is going through what the villagers said to him through his head. He gets pissed off and throws his coffee. After he gets all angry and throws 
his coffee into the fire, he goes to an old chest, opens it up, and finds a set of armor that apparently was worn by his father. Uh, we get a flashback of him and his father, which I hate this flashback. I don't know. It's just animated weird. It's mm-hmm. kind of creepy. You know, it's like slow motion. I guess it's memory. It is. It's faded memory. It is. I mean, I mean they, if it, in that case, it is kind of cool. But, like, Parn's really annoying here. He's, like, holding his dad's sword. He's giggling. His dad, like, touches his head. And he goes, Papa! Which is creepy. Papa Parn! Papa Parn! And, uh, yeah, he watches his father walk away. Ato shows up to kind of break him out of his days. Uh, Parn says that Ato should not throw away his training and follow along with Parn on this mission that he's going on, apparently. But Ato's like, yeah, I, I, I need to follow you. I need to make sure you're okay. That mission is what we cut to next in the forest. They are on a cliff overlooking a couple of goblin guards. They get the drop on them, head into their hideout to find it empty. Yep. Whoops. Whoops. Enter Deedlet. Who kind of floats in on a giant gust of air. In a tornado. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. She's like, why don't you try the village, you idiots? And that's basically all. And yeah. Ito's like, oh, an elf! And then she flies away. Uh, we cut to the town where pretty much everyone is dead or dying. Yep. This town did not invest in guards. No. Uh, we get more Red Vision shit. Uh, the Hobgoblin's watching from a rooftop, which is pretty cool. Very anime. Yeah. Very yeah. anime. Gim throws his axe out of nowhere uh, as he is accompanied by Slain, who tries to break the spell surrounding the goblins, and it works. Yeah, he doesn't try. He does. Yeah, he does. In that, the words that he speaks, he says, he mentions something about those whose spirits are controlled by evil. So it is like this weird evil So goblins aren't evil inherently? Maybe not. Maybe, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, they they didn't do it. Until the hobgoblin showed up and decided yeah. he wanted something. I kind of like that. I kind of like that, you know, that goblins maybe are kind of nasty, kind of mean, but they're not inherently evil. Yeah. But, like, this hobgoblin is much more evil. Oh, yeah, he's a dick. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And he's con- he's kind of controlling them. So the mayor freaks out uh, about his daughter, obviously. He's like, is that, uh, is that really apt moment where he's like, oh, my God, where's my daughter? And then we cut away to the daughter and be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> As the Hobgoblin is, like, stalking her down. Yeah, it's really creepy. Parn tells the mayor, this is my fault. Um, no, sorry, he doesn't tell him that. Parn runs up to the Hobgoblin and says, hey, take me on. I'm the reason that you're here. I killed your man. He's like, um, you're not the reason I'm here. <laughs> yeah, not at all. He kind of looks Parn up and down and says, eh, I think Ato's more interested. So you could tell that Parn is totally outmatched in this. Oh, yeah. Like, completely. Uh, like, this... Too high of CR. Thank God his friends are around to help him but out. But it's not too high of CR, he's just soloing it. That's true. It's one of those moments where it's like, guys, let me take the Hobgoblin. And then the wizard's like, okay, but I'm going to cast spells to help you. <laughs> um, the Hobgoblin goes all crazy with his slashes, like, super quick. And, and then it pans away, as you noticed. Yeah, they're not even, like, hitting each other. Again, D&D. <laughs> they're standing five feet apart, mm-hmm. and just swinging and hurting each other. Yeah. It's not it's making contact. Pretty crazy. It's pretty bonkers. Um, Slain holds Gim back and says, don't worry, I got this. His like, face starts glowing, and he says into Parn's mind, point your sword to the heavens. 
He's going to cast a magic weapon, isn't he? By the power of great call. <laughs> the wrong show. Uh, yeah, no, he totally casts a magic weapon. Yeah, Parn, Parn raises a sword and gets magic on it. Again, and, it kind of has this uh, this holy element to it. Yeah, very ritualistic. Like, and Hey, gods, make this guy's sword uh, a god sword, please. Gods, thank you. Amen. The end. I love you, bye. Yeah, I love you, bye. I love you, bye. Uh, Parn stabs the shit out of the hobgoblin, killing him. With his now glowing sword. With his glowing sword. Uh, the town, they're unhappy with Parn. You know, he did just save them all. Yeah. Well, those that are alive, at least. Um, and uh, they kind of want him gone. And Parn is already one step ahead of them, already gathering his things, putting on the armor of his father. Um, and he sets out on his own, but not before... Setting his fucking house on fire. Dick move. I mean, the town was kind of dicks to him. True. Like, get out! You just saved our lives! Fuck you! Alright, fine, I'll burn the town down. Very least, I can live in my house. <laughs> it's symbolic because I think he's trying to put the past of his father behind. You know, he's going to take up and do his own thing. He also has all these dicks to live in his house. True. Fair. Although he is going to possibly set the whole town on fire. Because they're dicks. Yeah, eh, fair. Um, <laughs> he doesn't care. The mayor was nice. Uh, so Maybe the mayor was on the other side of town. Uh, that's true. So he wanders out into the woods, right past Ato, who's all like slyly like, Hey, you want me to travel with you? See, he's got a thing for him. Um, but then, oh wait, here comes Gimmin slaying again. The party's gathering. Four of the six members have gotten together. Next episode, and then we'll see a tree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. D- I forgot. Deedlet's like, like basically stalking. It's the. It's like when Josh played in our in the first time I ran D and D, and he's like, "I want to play a dark elf, so I'm just gonna like kind of be there in the periphery." And then he got squashed. <laughs> so our narrator jumps in again. He says, "Hearts following separate paths gather into one light." We get a shot of Deedlet watching, and then we cut or fade. To black and the end credits and all that. So that's it. That is episode one of the record of Lotus War, which is entitled Prologue to the Legend, as well as episode two, which is entitled Blazing Departure, because he literally sets his house on fire. <laughs> uh, so this is the part where we talk about our thoughts on uh, these first couple episodes. And I guess I will go ahead and start since I did the reviews, I guess. Um, I love Record of Lotus War. It's one of those animes that it will always have the fondest of places in my heart. It's one of the, if it's one of the only anime that I still have the the VHS of. Uh, I've gotten rid of the VHS tapes of like pretty much everything else, but I kept those because I legit have the original um, VHS tapes. There were six in total. The first VHS had three episodes. The rest had two because that was anime back in the nineties. Yes. Um, very expensive. I'm sure I spent $25 or $30 for each one. But what's really cool about the box art is that when you line them all up together, like they, they make a whole picture, which right. I thought was really, really neat. Yeah. Um, I watched The Record of Lotus War a bajillion times, especially the OVA, because I got the OVA long before I got Chronicles of the Heroic Night. And it is, for me, one of my favorite animes of all time. Um, there are some things that, that are weird and don't hold up, but overall, it was my first time really seeing fantasy in anime. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Like, you didn't, you don't, you don't necessarily see a lot of fantasy. There are now, I think, a lot more not, fantasy. Not the typical D&D fantasy. Typical D&D Western Tolkien fantasy. You still don't see a lot of. No, you don't. I mean, you, there, at the time you had things like, there were Slayers, 
Yeah, um, I guess that's you know, a little bit of it. But. but but like yeah, a lot of the magical kind of stuff was not. I mean, you had magical girl animes like Sailor yeah. Moon. Well, even but Slayers that's different. More of a magical girl. Mm-hmm. You know, one main character who's very powerful. Yes. You know, not so much the party. Yeah, I mean. I guess sorcerer hunters and those who hunt elves kind of follow kind that of. too. They kind of do, but they mostly. have they had their own weird anime twist to them too. Yeah, like the weird sexual stuff in both of them, yeah. and then like the the real world party, you know, being put into the fantasy world and those right. who hunt elves. But yeah, I I think that for me, it's one of the most influential, and important animes to me. It's one that I can go back to at any time and watch, and be super jazzed to watch again and again and again and again. Right. So. Um, episode one's kind of weird, just because it, it jumps in the middle and it's just kind of like, we've created, here's these characters and here's I, a dragon. I don't think it's really meant to even... It's not canon, I don't think. I don't, I don't think it really I is I think it's literally canon. just... I'll kind of piggyback on your thoughts, because mine are the same. Obviously, it had an impact on us. Mm-hmm. Even the impact on you impacting us because of playing D&D together. Yeah. But yeah, I think that first episode wasn't really even canonical, it was just... Here's who the characters are. Mm-hmm. Here's what their classes are. Their what powers. They, what, what they can, can do, do. Their relationships. And how badass they are. Yeah. I mean, it's very... You walk through a tunnel, there's a big scary thing, you fight it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very just quick, you know, quick session. Yep. Beer and pretzels kind of thing. Exactly. It's... The characters are, are you know... There's some moments where I think the characters develop, which is really good. In the OVA, I think that when you get to Chronicles of the Heroic Knight, while some of the characters are not done very well, I think the majority of these characters are really interesting and, and have fully fleshed out. It's it's neat because Chronicles of the Heroic Knight is the follow-up. It's It, it retells some of the stuff from the OVA, yeah. but it also establishes some of the things that have already happened to some of the characters. Right. That's why you see some characters in this that you don't see in Chronicles of the Heroic Knight. Without spoiling anything, I don't want to say anything specifically. Right. But um, I think the characters in both series are very strong for the most part. And that's that's my favorite part, is that the characters are are interesting. Right. They're not weird and over the top. Like, you don't have a Kamina no. in this, you know. it's. I mean, if anything, it's the other way around. Like, Parn is kind of bland. Yes, you know, it's not until Chronicles of the Heroic Knight that he gets a little more interesting. Like, he's just the dude that wanted to play a fighter. Yeah. Absolutely. He's just there to fight stuff, and mm-hmm. he has a little bit of backstory that was probably thrust on him by the GM, or right. he randomly rolled up on a... On a table somewhere. On the table. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so, it's a great anime. I really enjoy it. Uh, I feel like Slain and Gim are probably the two, like, veteran role players. I can definitely see that. I can see like, them. Like, those two would be you and me. Yes. On a table of noobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. And, God, so who would Josh be? I feel like Josh would be Deedlet. No, Josh wouldn't be the girlfriend. <laughs> Josh would be Woodchuck. Josh would be Woodchuck. Because he doesn't show up the first session. Yep. Yep. <laughs> nope. Like that's 100% right. Feels like he didn't show up tonight. That's 100% right. And then he's playing a thief. There you go. With well, a weird name. With a weird name. I, yep, that one's Josh. Yep. Anything else to add about these first two episodes of Record of Lotus War? Uh, not really. I mean, obviously, we, we enjoyed it. Like yeah. I said, it was, it could have been my choice. Yeah. Um, we, if it was available, so. There you go. But now we're doing it. But now we're doing it. There so. you go. 
Uh, we will release another one of these episodes next time Josh isn't here. Yeah, next time Josh screws up. Yeah, we'll, uh... we'll, we'll just we'll just jump in and we'll record one of these. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this bonus bonus episode. So if you want to hear more of this, just make sure to send like your used tissues and like sick blankets um, to Josh's home at. You can't give away his actual address. What the hell are you thinking? It's funny. Why not? Oh, fucking hell. I don't know what to do about that. All right, so let's get out of here. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get out of here. It's late. Fix it in post. I'm going to fix it. Yeah, hopefully I'll remember. This has been Tuning Japanese, a podcast where two dudes and a dog, who's no longer in here at this point, uh, are traveling to a magical land to talk about anime. I'll never be a real knight. Name is Andy. And I'm still good enough to bring home a prodigal daughter or two. I'm Bill. And we will see you next time. Papa Card! Thanks for listening to Tuning Japanese. For more information, visit our website, tuningjapanese.com, like our Facebook at facebook.com slash tuningjapanese, and follow our Twitter at tuningjapanese. Also get a hold of the show by sending us an email at tuningjapanese at gmail.com. Please help support the show by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating and review. You can also go to patreon.com slash tuningjapanese to get all kinds of bonus content and help support the show monetarily. Tuning Japanese is part of the Questionable Endeavor Network. For more information on other podcasts and articles, check out questandnetwork.com. While you're there, check out other great shows like the Shadowfane Podcast, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, Slasher Sanitarium, Raw Attitude Podcast, New Blood Rising, The Reanimator Podcast, The Taco Tuesday Podcast, Nerd Control, Perilous Pretenders, and our newest show, and sometimes their scotch. You're really going? I am. And I'm coming back with her. Is it still possible? It's been such a long time. Niece! You're not just a priestess. You're a mother. And no parent should ever give up hope. Gim. Don't worry. I may be older now, but I'm still good enough to bring home a prodigal daughter or two. <laughs> Relax! 